Welcome to the Brains Magazine podcast, a podcast with in-depth interviews and conversations with world-class entrepreneurs, expert coaches, industry leaders, and international celebrities. Get exclusive insight into the world of business, mindset, leadership, and lifestyle with your host, Mark Sefton. I want to welcome you to this next episode of the Brains Magazine podcast and you're with your host Mark Sefton today and we turn our attentions to somebody within the arena of sport as well as coaching with Patrick Murantagulu. Patrick is a tennis coach of Simona Hylep. He's also was the former coach of Serena Williams. He's the CEO and founder of Murantagulu Academy and UTS Sports Business. How are you today, Patrick? I'm good. Thank you. And congratulations for the way you pronounce my name. It's impressive. <laughs> I don't know about that. I mean, I must admit, Patrick, I was on edge about saying that. And I almost kind of, it was like one of those where you kind of jump off a cliff, shut your eyes and hope that the landing is is good. <laughs> well, it's courageous to do something like that. Congrats. <laughs> Thank you, Patrick. Well, I know we're right in the middle of the US Open, and I obviously just want to take us there to start with. Obviously, you've been a tennis coach for a lot of years, and you've got a, a lot of different players within this tournament. How How is that tournament going for you and, and the players that you're coaching at the moment? I think it's a very interesting US Open because we can really feel more than any time before the change of guard. Uh, for uh, for a very very long time we didn't have we we, we have uh, none of the top three I mean the 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 legendary top three I'm thinking about Rafa Roger and Novak uh, in the quarters none of the three and we see young players that are not only uh, performing but playing incredible tennis and I think we've seen one of the best match for a very long time. Uh, the one between uh, Sinner and Alcaraz. I think the level of play was completely incredible. And this is very exciting for the future. And on the women's side, same. We had Serena, who has been dominating so much for so long. Um, Igas Wiantek is doing well at the moment. But you, you see a lot of other young players. Garcia did well. We see the young Coco Goff, which actually is working uh, uh, at my tennis academy for now since she's uh, 10 years old. Uh, who is doing better and better finals of Rangaros. She, she lost in quarters to Garcia here, but playing really great tennis. So all those new faces, personalities are coming up. And a lot of people have predicted the fact that after uh, the era of uh, of Rafa, Roger and Novak, uh, it will be a disaster. I always said the opposite. Not that they were not great. Of course, they're the greatest of all times. They play the best tennis we've ever seen. Yes, yes, yes. But I think it's exciting also to see new faces, very different personalities, guys that are really uh, different in a, in a way that they bring new fans to tennis. Kyrgios, Tiafo, completely different. Very different personalities that are going to uh, potentially uh, uh, fight on the court, also, of course, but also sometimes in the press conferences. So it's more fun for the young generation. And I think it's great because I think tennis needs that. So for that... This U.S. Open is the first time we really have a, a very strong feel of what's going to be the the ten next years in in the tennis world. Mm. Yes, yeah, so a great opportunity for reinvention, both for tennis as a sport, and then a great opportunity for some of the names that you've already mentioned, the up and coming. You know, and and when we think of business, 
Uh, I always say that when we lose our relevance, that's typically when we actually end up not being in business any longer. So do you see some parallels between the opportunity in the landscape of tennis right now and our challenge as business owners to to reinvent and to be relevant and to be able to evolve ourselves so that we're giving people that which they, they are looking from us for? A hundred percent. The world is changing constantly. Nothing is stable. So we have to reinvent ourselves all the time. It's true for a tennis player. And I always say that as a professional tennis player, if you don't move forward, you move backward. The stationary doesn't exist because otherwise everybody else is progressing. So, and it's the same in business, of course. And it's even more in business because the way people consume is moving. A lot of things are moving all the time. Um, And in tennis, and that's why I like the parallel, I think, and in sports in general, in the sport business, things are really moving. The last 10, 15 years, uh, a lot of new medias have coming have come up. Uh, the social medias, the streaming platforms, uh, the, 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 the e-sports, the video games, the offer for the people in terms of consumption is huge. There are so many uh, options every second. You have, you have 10 minutes, in front of you, you have nothing to do. There are so many options. This is one thing. And this has transformed completely the way people consume. Uh, before, in the 80s, sorry, I'm old enough to talk about it. In the 80s, in the, the 70s, even more, there was like t- three tennis channels and that's it. So like it was easy in a way. All the sports formats are old. They're old formats. Tennis uh, format from the before 1900. So imagine. Uh, mm. But all the, the, they all have been created at a time where the, con, the way people were consuming was completely different. So they kind of have to readapt to today. Today, there are a certain number of rules, whatever product you propose, uh, whether it's series or, or anything, there are a certain number of rules that you have to respect. The formats have to be short. They have to be dynamic. People are are losing attention very fast because there is so many options, etc. I'm not going to name all of them, but uh, just to say that uh, those sports have to reinvent themselves, otherwise they're going to die. Mm. And if you look at tennis, the average age of the tennis fan is over 60 years old. Wow. Why? Because the tennis fans are, uh, I mean, the, the, the fan base has been created in the 70s and the 80s, and the fans are still the same people, but tennis is not recruiting new fans, younger fans. Because the product, the tennis product that you see on TV, and you see matches of uh, the the f- famous uh, Sinner Alcaraz lasted four five hours. Who's sitting and watching a five hours anything today? Nobody. So it's it's just an example. So tennis needs to, re- to reinvent itself to be able to be relevant in today's world. But it's true for all the sports formats. So people have to think how to be relevant in today's world. So I think it applies completely to, to the business. Beautiful. Yeah. So both a challenge and an opportunity there, like, like with anything, when there's a, there's a new wave of doing things. So kind of a double-edged sword there, great opportunity, but also some challenge. And I love what you mentioned about attention. I play a little bit of tennis, Patrick, but uh, mainly for recreational, nothing uh, that would impress you at all. Um, Nobody's perfect. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> 
Uh, and this is the only question that I kind of want to ask before I, because I really want to get into your psyche a little bit as a, as a coach, not just as a sports coach, but as a business coach and your mind as well. But I noticed that when I'm playing, the times when I make a mistake on the court, it's always when I'm overthinking. It's always my mind more than uh, the way that I'm hitting a shot in, in most cases. Um, is that something that you can... Uh, relate to and talk to in terms of how much of our mind is getting in the way of uh, the decisions and the execution of of the things that we're called to do in our life that's a very good point uh, there are so many things to say so i'm going to try to be uh, to be uh, short as short as possible uh, that's the whole point about practice you practice because you want to repeat so much that you're not thinking about what you're doing. You're just doing. Uh, of course, the, the, the thinking is most of the time the enemy of the action. Uh, and the overthinking, of course, even more. The more you repeat, the more you, it's automatic. The more you focus on the purpose, I want to hit there, rather than how am I going to hit the ball there? Or what do I do right? Or what do I do wrong? Because all those things, of course, are getting in the way. Now, when you hit the ball, if you think about it, it's a motion that is extremely fast. The ball comes fast, the racket comes fast, and they have to meet with a certain angle to, to hit the ball inside the court. So if it's one millimeter away here, one millimeter away in the other direction, the ball is going to be out. So if you think about it, it's it's a crazy, it's crazy in terms of science. Mm. <laughs> but, so imagine how much the hesitation can in a way, play a role in missing. The hesitation is the worst enemy of the tennis player. Uh, hesitation in the execution. Hesitation in being convinced or not that it's the right thing to do. Mm. Ideally, you don't think you do, and you don't hesitate. You go for it 100%. Because same, I give, it's, it's a bit technical, but I don't go into too much technical. The moment you hit the ball, if your body weight goes in the direction where you want to hit, you're going to, you have a lot of chances that the ball is going to be in and with power and accuracy. If you hesitate, naturally your body weight will go a bit back because you're going to be scared to miss and then everything's going to be out and wrong. And even if the ball is in, it will have no power at all. So overthinking, of course, brings hesitation and hesitation brings missing. And the more you miss, the more you hesitate. So it's, you enter into like some kind of a vicious circle. Mm. So the role, of course, of the mental is extremely powerful. And I always say that you can't think sport with technical, tactical, mental, and physical, because all those four aspects are completely uh, working together. Mm. And wh whether you touch one, you touch the other one, even if you don't try to. So and and there is this quote from uh, Jose Mourinho, the the football coach that is so famous, that I really love, who says, uh, "Soccer, but it's true for tennis too, starts with the head, continues with the heart, and finishes with the fit with the feet." Mm. And I think it's it's very true. And people always talk about technical and tactical. Yes, you have to repeat so you don't think. That's very important. But it's so much a mental sport and the heart because of course. Uh, and again, the Sinner Alcaraz was all heart also, quality of tennis, but also so much heart in, in that mm. match. I reckon we could probably do the whole podcast on just, just this question almost, because 
actually how you answered it then kind of got me even more excited than than my own initial like question in terms of you know talking about timing and all those fundamentals of how you hold the racket and getting it within the court and within the lines and the perimeter you know and and then realizing that we do overthink things often and they paralyze us which again uh, are detrimental to the execution and actually you're saying that uh, the practice of it is actually where we we gain ground and where we stop overthinking I think you know I've always said that action quietens the mind so when we when we do practice and it becomes natural then actually it does give us the ability to not overthink and miss those shots so thank you for that uh, Patrick so that was beautiful um, one thing that I wanted to ask you is because this really fascinated me. I saw that you'd uh, you'd put an article out about this, and so I kind of wanted to touch on it. Uh, how do we implement the ability to unlearn something? You know, we we hear a lot about practice and petition, uh, but then also how, how do we actually go about unlearning something? That really gripped me because we're we're constantly told to educate ourselves, grow in knowledge. But actually to unlearn something, I really was fascinated by that. So I'd love, love to hear your thoughts on that one. Okay, so two, two things there. Uh, the first thing that is important to understand for the people is that we are all the creation of all the experiences we have gone through throughout our lives. Because every experience we have gone through has given us a feel of what we are good at or not whether it was a, a positive experience or a negative experience. I'll give you a simple experience, uh, sorry, a simple example. If you have to do a, a speech in front of people and you are so scared that you are not able to do anything right, you will form the habit that you're not good at that. And every time you will have to do it, you'll probably get worse because you're convinced that you're not good at it. These experiences gives you a feel of what you're good at or not. And you spend the rest of your life to verify that you're right in what you think. <laughs> so you're going to just have bad experiences every time you think you're bad at something and better and better experiences at what you think you're good at. Um, of course, when I coach players, a lot of them, I've, I've coached a lot of players that were in a difficult situation. And I love it because I have to go back to those experiences and change them. That's the only way. And I answer your question, I think, at least partly, because you, they kind of unlearn that they're bad at something. You, we go back and we create positive experiences. To, have a, to, have a, to create a positive experience, people have to have a bit of, of uh, confidence. If you start something where you have zero confidence at, it's going to be difficult to have a positive income. So I build confidence of the people. That's my job. And I always say that, the only way to build confidence is work and, po and, and positive little wins every day. I give you a simple one. If I start every day with a routine where I do my fitness for 30 minutes every day, but I do it every day, I start every day with winning because it's not easy. And when you do it and when you stop doing it, all the days that you don't do it, deep inside, you know you're failing. You don't tell yourself you're failing, but you know it. And it impacts you during the day. And if you do that every day, you're losing every day something. So we have to win every day something, not just one. You have probably 10 occasions per day to win something, even something super small. Feel better, feel more confident, and you build that. And then you go back and you 
go through the same experiences, but with a different outcome. How? Because you have a better confidence in yourself and because you have a better strategy, because you don't go there not knowing what you're going to do and how you're going to do it. You help people get ready. The stress is the stress and the fear of failure is your worst enemy all the time. It's the one that makes you fail most of the time. It's the one that makes you not work hard because you're so scared to fail that you prefer not to be ready 100%. At least you have an excuse for failing. But that's the opposite that you have to do. When you have to pass an exam, and you were probably great at school, but I was not, so I can, I can relate. When you go to an exam, you are very stressed because the exam is important for you. If you feel you have prepared incredibly well, the level of stress will go extremely lower and you'll be probably much better. Not because you prepared, but because you have less stress, you'll be more relaxed, you'll be more, more, you'll be performing better. Of course, the fact that you're well prepared also, but all those things work together. So when you do that and you come back to experiences that were negative, you kind of unlearn that you were bad at it and you realize you're good at it. And this is my biggest pleasure really in life, one of my biggest, when I, my player goes through a, an experience that was so negative so many times and suddenly he or she succeeds and say, wow, I thought I was bad. You're not bad. Look, you can make it. And then you do it one time, two times. And the more you do it, the more you have success, the more you're confident and the better you become. Mm -hmm. So that's more or less the process to unlearn something negative. Now, if you think about unlearning, generally speaking, I think, you think you're talking a lot about um, uh, the ability to question yourself. And I think the, also that we all have positive and negative experiences in life. Nobody has only positive experiences. That doesn't exist. The question is more what you do with the negative ones. Um, and for a lot of people, it's, it becomes traumas because they, they, they feel humiliated, they feel whatever they feel, but for them, it's, it's, it's a traumatic experience and it brings what I just spoke about. Where, and if you think about it, it's just a question of perspective. You can think, well, it's not the result that I want, that's sure. And <laughs> I'm not judging myself on this one. I will judge at the end if I get to the, the final result that I want. And if you think about it, every experience gives you so much feedback that is very interesting because maybe you have ten, nine parameters that are right that would bring you to success and one made you fail okay now that i have the information i change this one and i'm going to succeed i mean I, I make it simple but but it's more or less the truth so if you consider it only as a feedback and if it doesn't hurt you a failure then you progress so the ability to look and to look without finding excuses. And I think that's the big, big issue with people because they can't handle emotionally that they have failed. They have to find a reason that it's not because of them. So it's always a, a reason that they have no power on uh, because again, they need to deal with their emotions and they don't really get the information that the failure gives you that would give you the opportunity to win in the future. So. Unlearning for me is, is learning, is, uh, is not having preconceived ideas, refusing them. And this is great with my job because every time I start with a player, it's kind of a new book. I don't know anything and I have to learn the person. I don't never come to a player thinking, I know I'm a coach. I know what to do. 
I don't know the player, so I have no idea what I'm going to do. Zero idea. I don't know how I'm going to speak to the player. I don't know what I'm going to say. I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know anything. I have to learn. So that's the first thing. I know nothing. That's the first idea that is very strong. And whatever feedback I get, I accept it. And I accept that I did wrong. And I said it, and I even say it on social media, when Simona lost uh, in Rangaros and had a panic attack in the match, I said it's 100% my fault. 100%. And she said, why well, you say that? It's not true. I said, it is true because I should have seen that this could have happened. There were signs. I didn't see the signs. My bad. I take the responsibility and I learn. And next, and the next Grand Slam was uh, Wimbledon and she played semis. I mean, she didn't win it, not yet, but it's better because we right. learn. We learn and it's fine. Yeah, it's good. I mean, we're talking a lot about the mind. I almost feel like if, if, a mindset took took on the form of a tennis player and ability took on its opponent who who, who would win in your in your mind uh, can you ask this question again yes yeah, so so if if the if one player was called mindset and the other one was called ability and those oh. two took took to the court you know who, who's winning that match six love six love for the mindset <laughs> I love that. I, I kind of knew, but I kind of just thought we just uh, wanted to frame it that way. Uh, I tell I tell you just one thing about talent. Very short. Uh, I always say that talent is a trap uh, because people who have a lot of talent they think they're going to make it without working. So I worked with a lot of talented guys, and I tell them forget about the fact that you're talented. And everyone who tells you you are talented, don't listen and tell them to shut up. This is not interesting. Talent for people. They think it is the ability to do things that are difficult without trying hard, without a lot of effort. This is what they define, how they define talent. I think that talent is the ability to work extremely hard to get what you want. This is the real talent. That's very true. I'm glad that you pointed that one out. Why is self-esteem important in the process of personal and professional growth? Why, why is that such an important element to our own self-leadership? I think it's the key element. If I had to choose one, that's the one I would choose. And I love this quote that says, uh, where talent is a dwarf, self-esteem is a giant. Hmm. Uh, I think it's extremely true. Um, because uh, when you have self-esteem, you're not scared. You are prepared to give 100% without the fear of failing. Uh, you accept to look at yourself when you fail. You don't find excuses because you are you are confident. You don't you're not scared to lose confidence. Uh, a lot of the wrong uh, attitudes towards success are uh, the the result of a, a, a self confidence that is too low, self esteem that is too low. Uh, a lot of people. We all have friends who have uh, passions and dreams, and they never ever try. And the reason why they don't try is because they, they, they don't believe they can make it. So imagine how bad it is, how bad it affects people. Uh, most of the people who don't work super hard, most of them, because they, they have the fear of failing. Mm -hmm. And they, when they don't give 100%, they can always tell themselves, oh, yeah, I didn't make it. But if I would have given 100%, probably I would. So they, they, they keep a, a bit of esteem. A lot of people spend a, most of their time keeping the little esteem that they have and they have wrong wrong behaviors just to save that 
uh, all the people who find excuses, it's always to keep a lot of players do that. Like they miss a shot. Oh yeah, but because there was a bad bounce, because the guy is lucky, because why they do that? A lot of people criticize them. I don't criticize them. I know why they do that. It's to save the little confidence they have. If they would say it's because I miss because I'm bad or because I, I did something wrong, it affects them. It affects their confidence. So the self-confidence when it's big, when it's strong enough, not big, it doesn't have to be too big, but when the self-confidence is strong, you don't have those fears that make you adopt the wrong attitudes that affect your performances. Mm. That's why it's so important. We love that, yeah. And again, all the things that we're talking about, the, the biggest challenge is the fact that we all have a mind and we're all responsible for what we feed it. Uh, and we all have an esteem and, and whether we have a good one or not is something that we can we can actually own and actually proactively do things, you know, with. And obviously when we are struggling, that's when, you know, having a coach or a mentor is, is so, so important to have somebody who can come al- alongside. It's just like, uh, you protect Simona from, uh, you know, the the panic attack and saying, you know, it's it's my fault. You're taking on some of that, which we all need people to be able to create that umbrella and safety over us when we all have a, a natural uh, wobble. But having that ability to be able to draw on our own strength, I think, is invaluable, which is what you're touching on. Why is assuming uh, we know nothing the best way to learn and grow? This, uh, when people ask me why, as a coach, I, I've been successful, I always say because I was lucky, because I knew nothing. So I had to be very open minded. I had to do the things that are the most important in life. And whenever I meet people who are very successful, I'm never surprised because they're always the ones that speak the least and that listen the most and that ask questions. Uh, why? Because when you ask questions, you learn. When you speak, you don't learn anything. You repeat things that what I'm doing at the moment. I repeat things that I know already. <laughs> so I don't learn. And uh, and we all have to learn so much all the time. And the people who are able to be listening, trying to understand, uh, trying to learn, trying to observe also people and, and understand the behaviors, they are the ones who learn the most and have become the, the, the most successful. When I was a kid, and I always tell this story, I was the probably one of the, the most shy person I've ever seen in my life. Uh, I was completely unable to talk to anyone. I was completely panicking when someone was talking to me. Um, and because I was unable to connect with people, and we all need that because we are social, uh, humans are social, they're supposed to be social people. I was looking at people and listening to them, interacting and trying to put myself in their shoes and understand what they were feeling because I couldn't do it with people myself. This helped me so much for my job in the future, which I didn't know would be useful, but whatever you learn can be useful one day, even if you don't plan plan it. So I learned to listen. I learned to look, to observe people. I learned to detect Things that would give was giving me feedback about their feelings, their emotions, um, and this was so rich, and this helped me so much. So, when I started as a coach, I knew nothing about tennis. I mean, I was playing tennis, but I would I never passed any diploma. I never planned I would do that in my life, so I was not prepared for that. And because of that, 
And I've seen a lot of coaches, once they have their, their diplomas, they think they know. So they go to the court and they start to say, you do this, you do this, you do that. But they don't even know who they're talking about. They don't know what the player needs. They don't know how to speak to that player. Maybe they say one word that's going to shock the player and he's going to be not uh, trusting you anymore. You need to learn how to build the trust. You not... So you know nothing. When you have this attitude in life, you you don't make mistakes and i always say that to, to, to coaches uh, when you speak to a player and you don't know the player yet maybe you're going to say things and he's going to think i don't like this guy i think the exact opposite why you don't give yourself the chance to listen to him and know what he thinks before you express yourself i think it's the, these are things that are so important to listen again and not to assume that you know i, I tell coaches you tell me what to, to do you know what to do you just had your diploma two years ago. You have zero experience. I don't even know what to do. I, I need to learn what to do because I don't know the player yet. And you know already, this is crazy and this is wrong. So that's not the right attitude. The right attitude is, again, learn the people and understand the environment. I'm going to just give another example. Imagine that you become tomorrow the CEO of Total Energy. You know this company, huge mm -hmm. company. Okay. You never done, you were the CEO of Carrefour before. So a completely different uh, business. Are you gonna come first day and take decisions? I mean, you can, but if you do it, you're gonna, you have 99% of chances to take wrong decisions. You don't know your own company yet. You don't know the people who work on the in the company. You don't know the culture of a company. You don't know, don't know the competitors. You don't know what you're talking about. You have to learn. So you start with this being the CEO of Total. You don't know anything about this business, this company, the culture of the company, the people, you have to learn. So this is always the right attitude to think you know nothing. And because as you understood, I, I like quotes. There is a good one that says, uh, better keep your mouth, mouth shut and appear stupid than to open it and remove all doubts. <laughs> That's what I say to coaches. It's a good one. It's a good one. Right, I've got three questions. That I'm going to try and sneak in as, as, as quickly as I can. Because uh, I know you're a busy man, Patrick. How do we continue to do the right things when we don't seemingly get the results? I mean, we're so driven by results. So I tell people to measure the action and not the result. But how, how do we continue to do the right things, especially when it seems like what we're doing isn't really getting us the results we're really after? That's a very uh, interesting question. I tell you this all the time, but it's true. Uh, why? Because I mean... Uh, I'm in a business in which the only thing that counts is the result. The players hire you to improve their ranking or to win more tournaments or higher tournaments uh, to be better. And the only way to measure if they are better or not is the results. And when I hear, hear coaches that tell me, oh, wow, my player did a lot of incredible uh, improvements and I see the ranking dropped, I tell them, listen, what are you talking about? What do you mean by improvement? I don't understand what you're talking about. Um, and uh, and I heard that many times, believe me. And there is what coaches see. I don't like this. That's what they say. I don't like this in my player. First of all, I tell them whether you like it or not. Honestly, sorry, but I don't give a shit. It's not about you liking it or not. It's about is it efficient or not. Uh, and then they change it because they don't like it. And then the results are not good. I mean, are less good as before. And they say it's better. And I tell them, what are you talking about better? So we're judged on the results. And ultimately, 
that's good because it's not uh, figure skating where you have someone who gives you a grade uh, with his opinion. It's I win or I lose. And this, mm. uh, so that's great. And I think it's the same in business. You know, I was with the CEO of a, a big company a few hours ago. He said, uh, uh, we may, we were making uh, 1 billion. We make 4 billion in three years now. So this, okay, this makes sense. But I agree that uh, you can see things only short term. You have to also have a vision and you don't win immediately sometimes. You need to give yourself a bit of time. I think it's important to, uh, to have signs that tell you that you're in the right direction. You have to be patient, yes, but you have to be sure also you're in the right, in the right direction. And in my business, you can't lose too much. If you lose too much, it kills you. I think it's the same for the salespeople. A, a sales guy, if he doesn't sell one day, two, day, two days, one week, two weeks, you kill him. He's dead. Mm-hmm. He loses completely his confidence in being able to be a good sales guy. And it's the same in tennis. You have to win to feed your confidence in the fact that you're able to win. So you need to... And I had coaches who told me also in the past, my player, uh, I have to make big changes. Changes, So she's going to lose for one year, but in one year, it's going to be okay. I say, no chance. I don't allow you to do that. Zero. Make the changes, but continue to win. That's a real challenge. Otherwise, it's too easy, and you're going to kill her. Mm. And believe me, th- what I said was true, because I've seen that a hundred times. So you have to have to combine the improvement and continuing to win. Uh, if you lose too much, it's not a good sign. If you don't win enough, uh, I say enough, you expect to win more, but you have signs that you're in the the right direction, it's completely fine. Like with Simona, uh, she lost second round in Rome. She lost second round in Rangaros. Very bad signs. I, I said to myself, I'm doing things wrong. Not everything is wrong. I kept all the things that were right, and there were things that were not accurate enough that brought to this uh, panic attack and the stress was killing her. Like we were doing the right things in many, in many things. She was improving, but the stress was affecting the results. I had to lower the stress. So I had also to adapt my strategy. And that's what I'm saying. When the results are giving you the feedback, take the feedback and adjust the strategy. Don't change everything unless you think you're totally wrong, but adjust. You, every day you have the opportunity to adjust the strategy. Yeah, I think I think this next question leads nicely onto that, which is how and why is it important to trust the process? Because it, it's kind of twofold in your case. Simona, for example, she has to trust her own instinct and trust these little incremental changes are going to give her the, the desired outcome and result. And then also uh, a trust in you, knowing that what you're, what you're protecting her from, but also educating her in, are actually going to take a to where she needs to be and where she wants to go. What, why and how is it important to trust that, especially if we're not getting the results? There must be times where you know it's the right thing, but maybe it isn't showing up. Uh, what what makes you say, just keep going with this? Okay. Um, first, um, you are right. The confidence between the player and the coach is the key element of the success, at least in our sport. Yeah. Key element. And I say to coaches all the time, don't go too fast. If you start giving advice straight away without knowing the player, you go to the second uh, phase without completing the first phase. What is the first phase? 
is first to learn the player, as I said, but it's also to create the relationship, to create a relationship in which the player trusts you 100%. Because as a coach, even if you say everything right and you give the best advice on the planet and you go through it with the player, if he doesn't trust you 100%, it's not going to work. And I always say it's better to give wrong advice with a player that trusts you 100% than good ones with a player that trusts you 50%. Mm. Because even wrong advice might work if the player believes in it, in it so much. So the first step for a coach is to build that relationship in which the player is going to trust you 100%. Once you have that, this is the most powerful tool because, again, he's going to give himself fully to the project, fully without hesitation, because he's going to believe in you and believe in what you say. So it's a key element. When you have that, even when the, the, the ship is shaking, you're, in the, you're, not, you're not in the in the quiet sea, on a quiet sea, he's going to still stick to you and believe in you. And so this is very strong. I think the fact also that you show the, the player that you don't say, oh, I'm right, I, I'm... I'm Trust me, that's it, etc. But you're able to say, maybe I did something wrong. We have to adapt. I think shows him that, wow, this guy, the fact that you're able also to take the responsibility, like I did, I do all the time, by the way. I say, say this one is for me. My bad. I've been, I'm, I'm not good enough. I'm, I'm going to improve with you. Uh, and, and when I do that, I protect the player. He feels also that you know the bond is here and he feels that he can trust you 100%. Mm-hmm. But this is so, these things are so strong so powerful you know you can you can win any battle with that because mm-hmm. the team is because the team is always in danger so mm-hmm. when the team gets so strong it's very powerful um trust the process yes again if you show that there is a, a first you've listened and learned the player then you have built a strategy the strategy makes sense because you know the player perfectly uh, and you you know your job, so the strategy is right, but the strategy is never 100% right. There are always adaptations to make, and actually the player is also always evolving, so that, that adaptations are constant. If you're able to adapt all the time and make tiny changes, then it's easier to trust the whole process because you say, okay, we're on, after Rangaros, we're on the right way. Look, all the things you do better. We've had some good good successes already, that's shown that is the right way, but this and this are still missing. And this is where we have to put our attention now. And then the whole process is going to continue its way. And then you do it. And then you play the semis at Wimbledon, actually semis in two tournaments in a row, and then semis in Wimbledon. And then she wins a master 1000. So it's just a confirmation that those things were right. So you need the results because otherwise at some point you cannot trust the process anymore, but you can find a way to keep, this relationship and with the small adaptations continue to trust the global process mm. thank you patrick i know time has eluded us, so i just want to give you the opportunity is there anything that you really want to share that you really feel like is burning in you at the moment that you want to uh, communicate and then let people know how they can find out more about you and your academy uh, the, the the thing I can talk about a little bit uh, we've talked at the start is uh, the change uh, the change that needs that sports ne- sports business needs in general. 
uh, I explained the, the the way the consumers have changed the way they they consume that type of products. Uh, and I just want to say that I created a, my own tennis league called UTS. Uh, started in 2020, no, 2020 during the the, uh, the pandemic, uh, and we've had incredible success with a completely new version of tennis, short, dynamic, much more excitement, much more modern. I've had most of the top 10 players who have played UTS, uh, and uh, we're just uh, finishing the capital race now, and we want to start uh, the full league in 2023. Uh, so it's a super exciting project. The idea is to keep tennis the way it is and propose a different format, a second league uh, with the top, top players. It's like, I call it the Champions League of Tennis because we play only with the best and the most exciting guys uh, in a format that is super modern with the goal to bring also new fans to tennis and younger fans. So it's a project that is uh, super exciting to me um, and can change uh, the face of tennis for the future. So would that look like something like just playing one set? Is is that uh, is it that sort of thing? Or if you not? want to know more, uh, it's it's actually not sets anymore. I think okay. uh, the the scoring in tennis is uh, is complicated. We want to go simple because new fans who don't know tennis they don't want to try to learn how to to count the points. So it's like tiebreak style, one, two, three, four, five. Okay. We did the same as in in football, soccer. Uh, at the end, the so it's it's the or or NBA by the way, the time will decide when it's the end of every quarter. So it's quarters. Uh, at the end of the quarter of eight minutes, the one who has the more points win it wins it, and uh, is the four the first guy who has uh, three quarters who wins three. Uh, so the match lasts between thirty and forty minutes maximum every match. Uh, and it's super exciting because if the players reach two quarters each, then uh, we, we have a, a fifth one, which is called the sudden death, which is basically match point every point. So one, you serve one point. If you win it, you match, win the match. If not, the other one has a match point and then this one and then this one. We play with only one serve, no ace, no serve winners, more rallies. We shorten the net on the side to have more uh, points around the net, which are the most spectacular ones. Uh, with the players are... Uh, able to they're authorized to break rackets shout talk to the opponent more it's, it's more spectacular it's more fun uh we liberate the the voice because tennis is the only sport on the planet where you pay a ticket to go to the stadium and you're told to shut up which is co completely crazy all the other sports you can root for your for your team or you're happy you this you, you can sing you can uh, tennis shut up same for the players they are in the field shut up which is true for no other sport. So we want to involve more of the fans. We're using also the Web3. We have, uh, we have uh, NFTs, video NFTs. Uh, we have docu-series. It's really super modern. And we have also uh, an interview during the match at every changeover. And we started to implement uh, interviews made by, uh, by stars, uh, but for coming from other fields. So Serena did the interviews at the last uh, UTS, but... Um, I'm talking to uh, a lot of guys that I know, Mike Tyson, guys like this, to do the to do the the interviews at the at the changeovers in the future, and I think it's going to be a super exciting. Can be people, can be actors, guys who love tennis, but are not specialists. And during the match, they're going to ask the players why they lose, why they win, and and try to understand during the match to have more immersion because that's also one of the problems of tennis. It's not very immersive as an experience for the fan. Love it. And I imagine you'll go down the streaming route as well because that's sure. just that's just the smart thing to do right now. And uh, 
I was just thinking when you were talking about people can make noise, I was thinking that Australian guy was going to struggle with that one. Was it? Yeah. Cur- is it Curios? Is it? Yeah, <laughs> He's it like, is. he can't stand noise. He's going to have to wear AirPods. Uh... We'll see. We'll <laughs> see. I'm sure he'll like, he'll like it. I'm sure. <laughs> I'm sure he will. He's an exception, not the rule for sure. Uh, Patrick, how do people find out more about you and, and your academy? Uh, muratoglu.com beautiful <laughs> we have uh, an academy which is uh, the leading academy in Europe we have uh, uh, 5,000 campers who come every year most I mean a lot of the best players in the world who practice on site Tsitsipas uh, Medvedev uh, Simona Halep uh, to name just a few but uh, Andy Murray came many times most of the top players came several times to practice here okay. uh, we have 200 players full-time uh, in the program who are uh, in the tennis and school program to become pros and we have tennis centers we have one in dubai in the jumeirah hotel we take care of all the tennis experience for all the clients and one in greece at the costa navarino and we just opened the tennis and school program in malaysia wow Love it. Patrick's been so good. And thank you for sharing uh, not just your time, but your your psyche, the way that you do things and, and your spirit and and that humility that you have, which really came through, you know, that teachability, but also wanting to be vulnerable to create trust, which for me really shone through, which is a lot of what we've been talking about around mindset, trust in the process. That's so been really golden. So thank you so much, Patrick. Thank you for the invitation, Mark. And uh, I hope I see you soon. Me too. (laughs) (laughs) Cheers. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining this episode with me, Mark Sefton. I hope you've really enjoyed it. Feel free to leave us a positive review on iTunes. And I look forward to welcoming you back to the next episode of the Brains Magazine podcast.